Aloha no kakou. This is Hawaiian at Home, a podcast dedicated to encouraging Hawaiian language learners and speakers to keep on their journey. We are a family of five, and we made it a goal before we had kids to make Hawaiian the language of our home. And so it's been seven years we've been able to do that, but it has not been easy, and it continues to not be easy. And there's just lots of things that we've experienced to learn along the way. So those are the stories we'd like to share with you. Thank you for listening, and here is the episode. I ask away. Okay, so I'll do my best. Why don't we go ahead and start with just an introduction? Because let the people know your, your credentials, your title, okay. and some experience. So my name is uh, Peter Kalavaya Linwood Moore. Uh, my mom's side is the Hawaiian, Filipino Korean side. Uh, She's born and raised in Kaimuki. Mm-hmm. Our family's been in Kaimuki for four generations. Before that, the family was from Big Island, Onomea area, North Hilo. Okay. Uh, small farms over there, mm-hmm. like through the Mahalia period and stuff. Family sold all of those farms so, and became city people in the 40s, 40s, mm-hmm. 50s, 60s. Uh, some in Kalihi, and then my mom's family particularly moved what would have been out of town into Kaimuki back then, mm-hmm. right? Kaimuki is part of town now. Yeah. Uh, my dad's side, uh, my dad is Howard Moore. Nickname is Peter Moore, so that's how I got Peter. I don't know where that name came mm-hmm. from otherwise. It's not a typical nickname for Howard, is it? No, he just didn't like Howard. He was named after his dad, uh-huh. like his dad's dad. And he's from the Buffalo, New York area, okay. which is why I'm a long-suffering Buffalo Bills fan for any of you football fans out there. Um, and uh, his family is all the way back to the 1630s. They came over, the Moors, from the Isle of Man. They came over actually as debtors and had to work off their time in, in Connecticut. And then um, before that, their family goes back to England, uh, collateral lineage of the famous Thomas More, much to the uh, Disappointment of one of my aunties who was a historian, hoping we were more closely related mm-hmm. to the famous Sir Thomas More. And then before that, from Clan Moore of Scotland. They clan, they, I think they served under the Seps of the Campbells, another big, mm-hmm. bigger group. So that's the Moors. When they came to, when our Moors came to America, they were just poor Americans. Um, on the considered the right side of the American Revolution, and we know that information because uh, I found information of a great 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 grandfather getting a pension mm-hmm. from the, United, the early United States of America for fighting in the Revolution, and then we were on the northern side of the Civil War as well. Um, I do a genealogy class, so I tell people it's not a big deal if you were on the wrong. The losing sides of those battles. It's not the wrong side. I shouldn't say that. The losing sides of those battles, but um, because plenty of people were, mm-hmm. here we are today. Doesn't matter. But uh, that's me. That's my two lineages. I was, as a child, raised in the Buffalo area. Um, that's a long story. I can tell on another another day. But uh, and uh, my mom, who was from Kamuki, when I grew up, and I. Lived in America, lived on the East Coast and the West Coast after a little while. I wanted to come back and live with the rest of my family, my immediate family. I had three older sisters born and raised in Honolulu and 
parents were still around. So I came back to live with them and also to study Hawaiian studies. I actually came back specifically. I mean, I came back to visit family every few years. And, um, uh, you know, I was always the, the, my mom was the oldest on both sides of her family, which I didn't realize was a bigger deal until later when I was older. <clears throat> and so part of me growing up in New York was also her not wanting to be around here to deal with those responsibilities mm -hmm. and to keep me away from some troublemakers in the family as a young boy and young man. Um, Prone to temptation. Yeah, no, we had some drug dealers and some other problem guys Aww. and some scrappers and troublemakers in the family that my mom didn't want mm -hmm. me to get involved in. Um, um, but uh, so you came was, back for Hawaiian? I came. I came back when I. I ended up coming back because when I was living in New York City, this is a little bit of a story. When I was living in New York City, it was 1993 at the time when. Um, I saw a flyer in Chinatown, New York City, for a video about the overthrow of the Hawaiian Kingdom government called the Act of War. And I was like, holy smokes, I kind of knew right. about that, but there's a whole video presentation going on, and it was in an attic above a Chinese restaurant. So I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to go check this out. So I go above, I go the day of the presentation, attic above a Chinese restaurant, and I walk up there, and there's all these Hawaiians there. And I was like, oh, at that time, it's 93, I was like, I didn't know there were other Hawaiians in New York City. <laughs> I'd never seen any. And there was a whole attic full of them. And, uh, <laughs> the a crazy people, story. <laughs> yeah, the people playing the video were the video pro producers. It was Pudi Pao and Joan Landers of the Mako Kaina Video Productions, which were the, you know, a very important video production company in the early 90s, early and mid-90s. And they played the video, and I think everybody in the room was either in tears or like jaw on the floor. So I walked up to Pui Pao and uh, I introduced myself and, you know, he was selling the videos and I said, I said, I don't have any money, you know, but I got to see this video again. Mm -hmm. And he just gave me a copy. I still have the copy on my bookshelf over there. Oh, yeah, I see it. And um, I watched that video every day for months. And um, I actually, um, my wife Sonia, who I'm, you know, I'm married to now, and I wasn't married to at the time, we were living together. I said, I'm moving back to Hawaii to study with these women. And um, you're welcome to come with me or not. Like, that's where I'm going. I knew exactly. Like, I wanted to come back anyways to yeah. be with my family. But I, I was already doing other things politically in New York City mm -hmm. um, around um, race and other things. And when I saw Active War, I was like, oh, shoot, I should be going deep diving in my own family's history and culture. And... That's where I'm going. And that's how I ended up coming back in 94 is when I came back. Wow. You haven't even got to what you do. Oh, and yeah. I, I can already tell that you are you love history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all, all the things you already shared, I can already like see how this all lined up. But go ahead and share. So what do you do now? Like your education story, I mean, not necessarily the whole story, but what are your, what do you do now? Well, right now, sorry. What I am now is I'm the head of wine studies over at Wingward Community College, a professor of wine studies. Uh, I split duties with teaching and with running the program and growing the program. And um, when I got here, there was just two basic wine studies courses and the, really, the chancellor okayed my hire here, but 
really the people that drove my hire here were um, Louis Hokana and the Hawaiians that were on this campus at the time. And they were looking for somebody to expand a Hawaiian studies program here. And so I was tasked with building out the program. And that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. Yeah. It, which you guys have an incredible program here. I mean, my husband started his Thank journey you. here, which yes. led to our, you know, our whole family being a part of this. So yeah. kind of amazing, like credit to you guys. It's not just the students that come here, but it's been affecting you know, their lives and their families as well. Because I would say we would not be speaking wine or doing what we're doing if we did not have been connected with you guys from the, really? from the get-go. So you're doing some really great some really great work here. You guys came in with some pretty good language skills that I was quite impressed with. Um, maybe Volu did, but... <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so then, okay, so that was really interesting. I really feel like we could just learn about your life in a whole nother separate episode oh. for sure. Um, when you talk about because I want to ask you about Laku Okoa. Yeah. And so for my personal experience, like I really didn't know anything about, I mean, maybe there was a little dabble in it in high school of the overthrow and stuff, but really there's, I didn't know what Laku Okoa was, Laku Ihoi Ea, any of these like political things for the Hawaiian, for Hawaiian history until maybe like three years ago, which oh, is crazy, yeah. no, which no, is so crazy. That's pretty standard actually. Which is pretty standard, Yeah. but so crazy. And that's, that's standard, and you're someone who does Hawaiian things. And I, yeah. well, who up until involved? maybe six years ago, but I grew up in Hawaii. Like, you'd think growing up here, going to <coughs> Kamehameha and, like, everything, I would have known more. I feel a little gypped. But, I'm, and I think a lot of people can relate to that story. Totally. Even, like, your story of being in New York and, like, finding an attic full of Hawaiians, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bonding over this, this history. Um, so, I guess, if you could give an overview of Laku Okoa, because that's yeah. specifically what, what I want to focus on, for the for people like me three years ago who had no idea what that was. What? Well, l let me talk a little bit about that first, because okay. I went through an entire master's degree and didn't know about it. Whoa! And, master's uh, degree in? In political science. Wow. When I came out of Hawaiian Studies, so I went through Hawaiian Studies for mm -hmm. a BA, and I was a pretty good student. I was really into it, into the history yeah. and the politics. I definitely like reading. Not a lot of people like reading in the way that I like reading. Uh, I'll read stuff all the time, constantly. And I was pretty well read on Hawaiian history and Hawaiian politics. Uh, there was no place to go in terms of furthering that specifically coming out of Hawaiian studies. There was no graduate programs. So I went into political science because I was able to go there and mold my degree into something that could be related to uh, Hawaiian studies, basically. I think everybody coming out in that era, uh, there's a lot of good people that came out of that era really had to find and create their niche. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the Hawaiians that came out of that graduating class that I came out of 98, there were 35 of us, all looking for some place to go. Mm -hmm. So some of us went to political science, some went to Pacific Island studies, mm -hmm. history, anthropology, ethnic, ethnic studies didn't have a grad degree, I don't think at the time either, uh, law. Everybody's trying to find a way to continue the work we were doing in Hawaiian studies in these other disciplines, and um, I'm sure that's a lot of um, uh, bittersweet story telling right there. But uh, but going through my master's degree too, uh, I had never heard any, uh, anything about La Kuakoa, La Hoihoiea a little bit because of uh, Kikuni Blaisdell mm -hmm. was doing some La um, Hoihoiea stuff back in the 90s. Uh, but mostly, especially coming out of Hawaiian Studies in Manoa, I was really involved in uh, Kalahui, 
the nation within a nation model stuff. Uh, and then even when I was doing my master's degree work over in political science, I was involved in helping Mike Shapiro put together the, the indigenous politics program. So Lakuakoa was, I can totally relate to, you know, people don't learn about it in their schools and they don't learn about it in, it's only recently that people start learning, started learning about it in college. And I remember um, when I first learned about it, when I first heard about, it was countercide that really was the person who was, who was, it's not that it was new information, but he was the person who was bringing it back and bringing it out in a way that was um, very public. And um, uh, for, at the time, putting forward all of the kingdom work that he was doing, the idea that the kingdom still existed and stuff, for a public that was predominantly thinking about ourselves as indigenous and pers uh, pursuing the Kalahui path and following the, the Trash sisters, Mililani and Honani, and uh, um, the counter stuff would still seem to me at least like an obscure kingdom group. You know, there were a few kingdom groups where, where guys were claiming they were Kamehameha the seventh, or you know, they, they were the next king or the next queen. And so I thought his stuff was just um, another one of those kingdom group things. Mm -hmm. But, um, and as a matter of fact, I got set up to meet him by a professor at Manila because they thought I was sharp. They, they, want, they had me sit in the front row and they wanted me to tear Kiyomisai's work apart. Was this in like your master's program? So while I was a master's oh, student. Oh, okay. The end of my master's student program. <laughs> okay. And, uh, uh, and what was, was he? That, was what that, was that, he? It was actually the beginning of when I was just starting my doctorate program. Oh, okay. And I, what was he? He was an outside guest. He oh, wasn't like a doctor, like he... No, he had, he had no graduate degrees at wow. the time. Wow, so he just came to talk about this? He came to talk about uh, his regency okay. and the kingdom and the facts of the uh, continued existence of the kingdom. And so I remember even thinking this from prophet's like, oh, you should sit in this front row and just poke holes through this guy's stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to tear <laughs> this kingdom guy's uh, stuff to shreds, you know? And uh, I was really cocky. <laughs> and uh, I sat down, and, and if you've ever sat in front of Counter's presentations, you know, the first time you see it, I had enough political science background that I understood every, you know, pretty much everything he was saying. And I was like, holy shit, if this is true, like, that changes everything. And uh, I went up and had nothing but questions. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to reevaluate everything I'm, I think I know. Well, the whole poking went out the, right. out the window. And so... Um, and he had more presentations about Lakuakoa. He had them in his basic presentation, mm -hmm. right? Because it's part of, of Lakuakoa. It's significant it's, to what it's wrapped up into the uh, into state recognition, right? Yep. It is state recognition, and you know, in order to, um, I mean, that we are a nation state is uh, changes everything else that we think about our history and our politics, mm -hmm. at least from what we learned before, right? Right. Uh, what we learned before was another um, set of important histories and stories that come out, come from a time period where prior to the Hawaiian Renaissance, um, Hawaiians were just hiding from Hawaiian anything, right? So out of the Hawaiian Renaissance comes a rebirth of digging in and um, dealing with Hawaiian history and politics. And really his, is, his work, Kano's, is just a part of that trajectory. It's just what gets uncovered and revealed is the kingdom still exists? Well, there's kingdom. The kingdom is actually a nation state. Mm -hmm. It's a respected nation state, uh, and it still exists. 
and the genesis of it is um, the genesis of the kingdom as a legal body, as some as an entity withstanding in international law, is La Kuwakoha, which is that Anglo-Franco proclamation. Yeah. Yeah, and then the a year later, the United States also. I guess what? How did they? And I know in um, a year later, what did they do to show that they also supported the independence of Hawaii as a kingdom? Well, they put out a statement saying that they, they um, it was really more like, a, like an extension of the Monroe Doctrine, that mm -hmm. Hawaii should remain independent, and that they're basically um, in favor of that status. It wasn't until 1849 that they put out an official treaty. Mm -hmm. But an official treaty was um, negotiated and signed between the U.S. and the Hawaiian Kingdom uh, recognizing us. I think that was most favored nation status. Too. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But the original, we had two of the three in, in 1843, mm -hmm. uh, November 28th, in the Anglo-Franco proclamation. Right. And that pretty much um, started us as a recognized nation state. I mean, prior to that, I'll have to say, um, what sets all of that up? Is the um, the rapid, rapiding um, uh, gumbo diplomacy that's taking place here? Mm -hmm. Right, the French are coming in and they're demanding um, equal treatment of the Catholics, and they're demanding uh, that they get to hold a twenty thousand dollar bond mm -hmm. until Hawaii performs a whole set um, a whole list of um, demands that um, meet that um, its grievances. Have been resolved. Uh, Britain is coming in with uh, Richard Charlton mm -hmm. has given them a hard time. So the kingdom is having trouble with the nation states that are in its water, right? Um, not so much the Americans right away at that time, but particularly the French yeah. and the British. And then the French and the British, right? Uh, 1840, I think that's that's the Maori get uh, taken over by mm -hmm. the British. That's the Treaty of Waitangi. I think shortly thereafter the uh, the French take over its Marquesas and its um, Tahiti, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the British um, rep in Hawaii is upset that uh, Britain didn't take over Marquesas mm -hmm. and starts openly advocating that uh, Hawaii be taken by England. Uh, uh, England, I think, sees uh, Hawaii as being heavily influenced by America, so mm -hmm. they, they don't want to meddle necessarily, although they, they you know, want to make sure that America doesn't have it either, right? Um, so that's the time period, right? And in that time period, this is this is like from 1840 until you get to mm -hmm. Lakuoko in 1843. The major powers are starting to pick apart the Pacific and Polynesia and yeah. to uh, take possession of them. And so, uh, in that time period, it is also the time period where Kamehameha the Third is trying to move quickly mm -hmm. and. Uh, Fortunately for, for us, um, William Richards decides to take up educating himself along the way while, edu while educating. He was a missionary, the right? Yeah, yeah. Ex missionary, tried to find somebody from outside mm -hmm. to um, yeah. tutor the chiefs in international relations. Ends up taking it up himself and um, educating the chiefs, and the pathway is sort of clear. They have to get some sort of state recognition or they're subject to being taken over by one of the recognized nation states. Yeah. I love how you took us, I felt, I really felt like I was in that time of turmoil. 
which I think makes so the next part I want to ask you about this journey of Timoteo Ha'alivio because he the more I learn about him the more I'm just like amazed with the things he would do do you would you mind sharing a little bit about him and how he fits into Lako'oko'a? Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I can remember. I, so he was the secretary to Kamehameha III, mm-hmm. and um, really the first two envoys that are appointed, it's Sir George Simpson, Simpson the British subject, and um, he knows there's a, there's a previous foray to try and get, to get recognition uh, where Peter Brinsmade, an American, is sent with letters from the king to try to negotiate um, these treaties. And he can't get anywhere. Um, he's not able to get an audience with anybody. Mm-hmm. His negotiations fall flat. He's also doing it to try to uh, uh, bolster a, a, um, a business venture mm-hmm. on Kauai. Land and Company is his sugar company. Mm-hmm. And sugar, coffee, and other things. They're trying, to, they're trying to set it up so that they can make a successful business venture and the king and the chiefs have made his business venture contingent upon helping secure recognition. Mm-hmm. So he's out there. Sir George Simpson is saying, you know, this guy's probably not going to make headway. You need people who have some connections, essentially. <clears throat> so Sir George Simpson is, um, uh, and um, William Richards, he meets William Richards. Uh, Sir George Simpson meets William Richards, decides, oh, this guy's pretty intelligent too. And he's been um, a, a close advisor to the king mm-hmm. already. He's left the mission already. And uh, so those two get, um, get designated as ministers that can negotiate on behalf of the kingdom mm-hmm. first. And Kamehameha III wants somebody he trusts who's Hawaiian closely in there too. Mm-hmm. And that's Timoteo Hapapio. Um, I think a lot more work needs to be done. We have, we, have, we have a base story of that time period and what happens, but nobody yet has put out a deep dive yeah. on those three guys, on that mm-hmm. situation. Uh, I think there's still room for a lot of work there. Yeah. Yeah. So Tim Hatulio leaves with William Richards. He goes to Mexico, they go to Mexico, and then they go up from Mexico through the U.S. to D.C. They meet with, oh, Daniel Webster, I think, is the Secretary of State at the time. And they don't really get anywhere with him. Mm-hmm. It's not until uh, they start being a little more diplomatic and saying, well, you know, maybe it's going to be Britain that, um, that ends up taking us over, or France. They seem to be taking everything else over in the Pacific at that time. And then Dan Webster is a little more open to receiving them, mm-hmm. apparently. Uh, and no treaty is given to them, but that's when they issue the first statement uh, in a speech saying that they... They um, uh, respect and expect others to respect the independence mm-hmm. of the Hawaiian kingdom. Um, sort of, I guess that's what's called the first, um, the first shot over the bow of the extension of their Monroe Doctrine, mm-hmm. which is this is sort of our area of influence too, and nobody should be just taking these guys over. Mm-hmm. Taking that, uh, Richards and Hapi uh, Leo travel to um, Europe, to England, um, where they do end up meeting with, Sim- with George Simpson, who helps get them into key meetings with people. Uh, I'm not sure if I answered your Papalilio question. No, it's fine. Keep <laughs> I'll just keep going with the story. Yeah, let's so, keep going with the story. Uh, what happens is that they basically, through diplomacy, start to play off France and England against each other, um, u- using also their connections with Peter Brinsmade and the Belgian 
government. Belgium just recently had gotten recognition in like 1838, mm -hmm. and for some reason they were sympathetic to Hawaii and the new countries getting recognition, and they were close with France. Yeah. And so uh, what these three gentlemen did was essentially uh, play off the fear that another country would take over Hawaii mm -hmm. uh, if they didn't um, jointly recognize the independence of the Hawaiian Kingdom. So to keep the Hawaiian Kingdom from becoming French, the, Br the British sign, and to keep the Hawaiian Kingdom from becoming British, the French sign, the Anglo-Franco proclamation. Mm -hmm. uh, and then later on, America got in line with that as well. Yeah. Now, I feel we didn't quite cover Timoteo, but that's okay. Let's yeah. let's go with this. <laughs> I mean, I we, we sort of. Well, to be honest, that's really what I know of yeah. Timoteo. Of course, he doesn't make it back. Yeah. He dies along the way. And then there's a famous story of, um, I think it might have been a Holly guy who gets up in the legislature, the kingdom, and says, mm -hmm. we should honor this guy. And uh, <clears throat> another Hawaiian chief gets up and goes, no. Really? What he did is what's expected of him. Oh. And that's what we would expect of any of our high chiefs going on on these journeys. I think they did honor him. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> but I, I, can see, I can see both sides, but he, I think he, he did both. You know, he he did what it was expected of him, and well, today far we more. Honor, and, we honor him. and today, now that we don't yeah. have that, you know, we we should definitely honor okay. him. It'd be great to get back to the place where uh, uh, grand things like that are just the expected duties yeah. of Hawaiians. Yeah, can you imagine if that would, how that would go across with Hawaiians <laughs> today? Which is actually a good segue into kind of my next question because. Even, like, everything you explained, like, I've spent years kind of learning bits and pieces here. I'm not a reader like you, but I, my husband is. And so as he watches videos and reads, like, I get into it with him. And so I've watched a bunch of things from Keanu Sai and read his, um, his textbook that he has and stuff like that. And it's still really complicated. Like, it's complicated. Yes. It's hard to digest yes. for the general public. Yes. But so important. But I think that's the disconnect is... We've, we've been told one story growing up, and then there's the truth, and the, br the bridging of the gap between the two is really hard to cross. Right. So if there was like, if it was like a ball of yarn and you were going to like undo it, where, where would you suggest starting? Because I think even what you just shared is a lot to digest. Like, how, how do we start that bridging of the gap? Well, okay, so I think... Pod, that's where podcasts like this are important mm -hmm. because I think it touches on the information too. Uh, I went through this with one of my classes the other day. Uh, my students were having trouble with all of the Kiaves in the reading. There's Kiave Boy Boy, Kiave Mauhili, mm -hmm. Kiave Ahiulu, right? And trying to separate all the different Kiaves. And so, you know, I just took a moment and said, okay, this is, this is actually a, a great moment because uh, this really shows us sort of how we've been educated. And I threw up about six Kiabis on the board. And I said, most of you guys, I'm not going to try and embarrass you guys. That's not what I want to do. Most of us, myself included, when I first started reading this material, we don't know all these different Kiabis. Then I walked over on the other side of the board and I put all the Georges in America. George Washington, George Soros, George, Bush. George Stephanopoulos, George Bush. Uh, you know, I threw about five Georges up there. I go, most of you would be able to distinguish who George Bush is. George Bush is the first. Yeah. You know, George Washington. I go, this, that's a long name too if you take the whole first and last name in there. Yeah. I go, that's just, that's not, I'm not trying to embarrass any of you guys. It's just, this is what we've been educated in. You've had about a thousand touches on George Washington. And this is touch number one on Kiabi Mahuhi. So you have to, you have to keep running through this material. And 
we need some of you guys in this class to, uh, as you uh, go further along in your journey, hopefully some of you will continue to make more material that puts these guys out into the Hawaiian public so Hawaiians can get more touches on this. And that's how we're going to change sort of the, 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 the sort of a common sense logic, right? The, the, orga the organic intellectualism. That was and, a big... Uh, intellectualism <laughs> that just just comes up about from everything gotcha. that's circulating kind of the... in our daily lives, mm -hmm. right? The, all the Georges are there all the time. Yeah. The Kiavi is less so. So we want to try to change that around, right? Yeah. Uh, but if we so that's a that's a the bigger picture. But if we were to go back down to where you'd start to get this information, mm -hmm. uh, I actually happen to have one book right here. It's written by a Judd descendant. Okay. On Hawaii joins the world. Have you ever seen this? Book? I haven't seen that book. So it's a really good um, description of the the events around recognition and around the around the, the beginning of the government. Mm -hmm. you know, how Hawaii becomes the Hawaiian kingdom, essentially. Yeah. There's this piece, Keanu's piece. Um, like you said, that that is complex, right? So it's my students stuff. touch it once. If they don't have to see it for another two years, like it's easy to it's, it's get still, lost in yeah, all the it's details. Still just, it's still just a couple of puzzle pieces here and there, right? But, um, I think that's so powerful what you said, the touches on yeah. it, because I think like there are the academics people like you were like you'll deep dive until you right. understand how it all works and you can like commit it to memory. Right. But I would say I would join the mass population and like it's all the different times I've heard it and heard it said different ways and by different people or the right. same person in the same right. video that I've rewatched like 30 times to try and grasp a, just like one thing that right. makes it stick for, for me. And I think sometimes with people like um, when I still feel embarrassed to like promote it, honestly. Oh my God, no, you did a great job. <laughs> well, but sometimes if I like say it in social media and I know anyone around the world is watching this and I'm like, I have some friends I see on from, so heavy, right? from college and yes. they're like, they don't live here, they're not from here, but here I am saying the Hawaiian kingdom still exists and they're probably like, oh my gosh, Emily like lost it, <laughs> you know, after college. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's not, would you use political, organic, or what do you say? Organic Yeah, it's, it's well, you get tricky. both sides, right? Because you'll have that side. Because I get that too. I get that side, and then the other side is Hawaiians that really know a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you said that what you said was a little off here. Or yeah, you get a little off there. That's fine. Don't, but, There's you know. less of the Hawaiians that know a lot, though, than that's probably the people that <laughs> don't know anything. <laughs> no, that's that's very true, right? You know, yeah. uh, I think my family definitely uh, did not know what to make of what I was doing when I was deep diving on Hawaiian things. First, when I was doing Hawaiian studies. At the time that I was there, I was under Honani K. Trask, and they're like, "Oh, you're with that crazy lady." I was like, oh, "You know, the crazy lady has a lot of information that explains a lot of why our lives are in so much political turmoil on the big picture level." And then, of course, there's all the bad choices all the rest of you guys make. <laughs> but uh, now it's the same with Keanu, right? Uh, but Keanu's is a huge leap. I mean, at least Trask's work still fit within the society like it, it right I think I remember my PhD work I was trying to get at when I was starting to read everything in the public eye that all of a sudden all of the politicians like a Ben Cayetano a governor and uh, even a Thurston Tweek Smith a, an opponent were all in favor of indigenous rights 
and Hawaiian rights. And uh, when so I was trying to figure out at the time when all these guys were on board with with what we were doing, when it was such a radical position at first in the early 90s, and all of a sudden all those guys were on board, but it meant no change, really. Uh, that's when I ran across Keanu's information. I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's because all of the indigeneity stuff and everything still fits under the fold of them being in charge of the resources and this place, mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, Keanu's stuff is a huge break from that. Well, Keanu, what Keanu's brought to light, our Kupuna stuff, is a huge break from that, from, for us in this time period. Yeah. But it's the continuity of what they put in place going through their turmoil, their turmoil and their mm -hmm. uh, troubled times and what they found through their research and work were the best paths to take. At that time, which still, in my estimation, seemed to work very well for us in this time. Mm -hmm. It's difficult though to reconcile that politically today with yeah. most people. And I do, I some of the arguments I get are like, well, I mean, so what? Like, I think I get the so what a lot. You know, if I ever get the chance to talk about it with someone or, you know, they get, okay, well, what do you want to happen? They, what now? They're very like, yeah. okay, so so what? You want it to go back to modern? You know, they want, like, the answer right away. And I think the only way I've been able to kind of make sense of it in my head is to just keep, like, education. Of just keep educating myself, sharing it with others. And yeah. I think we'll find the people like you, like Keanu right. Sai, like, it'll touch someone. And that might be the person to discover, maybe they have old archives in their house. Like, maybe that will be the person to lead to yeah. the next step yes. and whatever. Maybe it's not going to be me that I'm not going to say, hey, I know what's going to happen right. when, some, when, you know, all this. I don't know. No, but, nobody knows. But by spreading and sharing <laughs> and, and those touches with other people, we can find, I think we'll be able to find the next step or what will happen. Yeah, the, well, what now? I get a lot. And, yeah, I don't have the answer to that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same answer that you just said, which is, well, we keep educating because you didn't know this. It's still the truth. Ago. Right. I mean, it's like, you, can you be mad that I just told you the right. truth? Right. No, that, that's exactly, exactly correct. Right. Yeah. Always go. I think I'm, I'm in an enviable position where I can stand on the truth for a living. Yeah. And, uh, so I try to have a little bit of, uh, grace for some of my friends who, uh, know this information, but, uh, feel like they have to walk two worlds for grant funding or other kinds of things that they they're doing in the public um but uh, don't you know don't don't betray the the kingdom too much uh because at some point that truth has to be reckoned with and it can't it, it doesn't look like it can be reckoned with in on terms that the united states will find to its advantage or i think that would already happen Mm -hmm. Right. If, yep. if, they, if they could put some dummy thing in place and flip it around, I think it would have been done already. So they try to put dummy organizations in place and flip it under them. Right. Right. So it, it's keep them happy, keep them distracted and happy with something so they don't really well, we're busy. look into it. Yeah. <laughs> we're scrapping for land. We're scrapping for all sorts of things. The yeah. That, so my approach is education, education, education. And then also, because I, th I still think the whole Kapuna story is not out there. <clears throat> I think most of it, most people that I know couldn't tell you what the Hawaiian land system was. I can't. 
Uh, and oh, you mean like the ancient ancient one? or No, the one through the kingdom. Uh-huh. <clears throat> the ancient one too, maybe. But, I, you know, I went through Hawaiian studies and I studied directly with Marion Kelly uh, on the Mahele back in the early 90s. And I know that, I know that read, uh, that it, the Mahele was a conversion into private property and through mm-hmm. that private property scheme, uh, Hawaiians lost the land, they got alienated from the land, and then they had to go into the workforce to try to make money to then acquire land. That was the old story that we got and that I taught coming out of Hawaiian studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, credit to uh, Keanu Sai and Don Lewis from Perfect Title, mm-hmm. who just looked right back to the primary source documents, looked at the laws and everything down in the Bureau of Conveyances and the archives, and found that it was actually a transition from our traditional rights in land into a, an encoded system of rights into the land. Mm-hmm. And I also, you got to credit Donovan Prez's work. I met him, did yeah. You, did you meet him? Yeah, yeah I have read his he, master's thesis? I haven't read his master's, but I heard a little, I met him at in Kauai, he came to Malu's workshop for Hawaiian language. Oh, great. Because, anyways, long story short, I, I met him and learned a little bit about him and what he does and He's was also... The, the work that he did, he spent about 10 years down, off of, working off of Counter's work, uh-huh. he spent about 10 years down in the Bureau of Conveyances and the archives, just really um, spreadsheet all of the land transactions in the kingdom, like intense amount of work. You're intellectuals, <laughs> man. <laughs> this, guy, this guy, his work is, is groundbreaking because, I mean, why would you want to go back to the Hawaiian kingdom? What does that really mean for anybody? Well, if it means, if we start to look at the Hawaiian Kingdom and what we set up, we have some unassailable things. Mm-hmm. Um, one is the actual structure of government that provides us the opportunity maybe to have some control. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've heard some people say, well, you know, we're outnumbered. If we get that government back, we're outnumbered. But the structure of government, if you, if you look at it, and of course, nobody does because it's not anybody's fault. Yeah. It's just not taught. Yeah. And there's not enough people deep diving on it and publishing on it and right. talking about it. It's probably it. easier for people the, in government if you don't know. The, oh, the whole executive head structure is clearly genealogical. Mm-hmm. So that's Hawaiian forever. The Before Bayonet, uh, most of the um, House of Nobles are basically high chiefs. Mm-hmm. Unless a king decides to appoint somebody who was Hawaii for one reason or other, it still has to be confirmed by the legislature. Mm-hmm. So you have two-thirds of that, you have half of the legislature and the executive branch, uh, essentially uh, all by structure going to be Hawaiians. Uh, and I have to say, I don't know enough about the judicial branch to know uh-huh. how that gets comprised either, but it was, there was, was a good chance you could have a lot of Hawaiians into that section. So it's a government by us, still, that gets run by us, uh, created by us. Uh, if if it's true, and I have seen nothing to say that it's not, that constitutionally we have um, embedded rights to land for every Hawaiian that Hawaiians exercise throughout the 1800s. If you, you gotta read through Donovan Prez's work. Basically, every Hawaiian who wants it gets land from the government. Wow. And every Hawaiian, every Hawaiian can get land from the government at the age of 21 by going to the uh, Ministry of Interior getting either a government plot or some other plot of land. Um, and it's a land, land plot that's listed, a plot on which you can build a house and grow food. 
And so you have Hawaiians in the records that Preza details getting uh, land from the 1850s all the way up till 1893. That's when that stops. Of course, it's because they lose control of the government. That's his thesis from uh, his, uh, that's his only his MA thesis. He's still working on his doctorate. It's the greatest MA thesis I've ever read. Uh, and he's got all the details of Hawaiians getting land by the thousands. Or Hawaiians could stay in their traditional relationship, basically as Makainana on the mm -hmm. land, um, later turn vagrants once we lose control of the government. And they basically owe labor tax to the Konohiki mm -hmm. and to the government. So we had those options. So, so we had a government that's mostly run by us. Right? Why would we return to the kingdom? We have rights to land that in perpetuity, right? That's mm -hmm. still on the books. Um, we have the chiefs start to carry out their chiefly responsibility by creating trusts. There's no indigenous trusts like uh, commandment schools mm -hmm. or like legal Kalani trust or like Lunalilo Trust. Now, Lunalilo, for example, those things don't look anything like they looked like in the 1800s, but that's a story worth uncovering and trying to repair. But those are trusts created mm -hmm. by the kings, by our, by our elite, to look out for their people and for this country. So there, there's just all sorts of great advantages that, that answer the, the basics of, well, how does this thing put food on my table? Yeah. And handle my basics. Well, it does, right? But that story's not out there. Mm -hmm. That story is, um, it's not out there because people are blocking it. It's just there's not enough people putting it out there. And I also think there's fear with this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would definitely say there's an amount of fear because, I mean, it's, it's the fear of the unknown. It's also the fear of, like, not wanting to upset the system, the government, you know, we, especially just the way the society is, it's very like, follow, walk in a straight line. That's what they teach the kindergartners and the preschoolers, you yeah, know, walk right. in a straight line. So, uh, would you say that there are things that people legitimately should fear if they want to pursue and learn more about this and dedicate more of their life and lives and time to, to this sort of information? I don't, maybe I don't see the fear enough. <laughs> I mean, again, that also is my enviable position, uh -huh. right, is I can stand on the truth and be hardcore about it. But, um, I mean, you know, the rights that we look to in terms of gathering rights or rights to all the rights to lo'i attached to any stream uh -huh. and have water flowing through them are from the kingdom. So a lot of the answers to the water struggles, burials, water struggles, are right there with the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I mean, you're hoping, you're, that's a way to phrase it, you're depending on the kindness of strangers. That's <laughs> a good way to put it. I mean, the yeah. indigenous argument is a moral one. And the United States is not always so moral. There's a lot of moral people, <laughs> a lot of moral people in the United States but the government is definitely um, capable of looking out for its own um, interests. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't always know where those interests come from mm -hmm. in the United States side of things, but uh, certainly the the blocking of the, the whole Red Hill thing for a long time, like um, I think it was really that they were poisoning their own people that helped make some headway. And uh, 
our friends who were activists on, on that were very important in helping turn that. <clears throat> I don't want to, for people that want an answer right now, I would say it's still worth it for people to be involved in, in local activism because uh, we, we don't want to get back everything and it's completely, completely trashed. Yeah. So, um, I, I think so that, sad. I think yeah. we laugh, but that's really so sad. No, it's, right. You got to have find some dark humor, yeah. <laughs> right? So, some of that local activism is very important, and there's some great people doing great work on that. Uh, some of the moves for people to go back to the land and to the ocean, mm -hmm. those um, the projects on at our fish ponds, or bringing back lobby. I think those are all important. That's you know, how do you those projects have also, they fuel sort of uh, uh, a subtle governmentality, you know, that way of thinking, which is that our thinking should be today like it was back then, which is around the idea of it being sustainable, whatever people want to call it, as long as it gets us to a place of, of you know, like food independence and some sustainability in a way that we were 100 years ago. It's only 100 years ago. And somehow, uh, people are convinced that we cannot make grow our own food and provide our own resources. It's too far gone. That's um, uh, when people have that mindset. Just I'm not sure where that comes from. There's there's some interest, or there's uh, either uh, a gain wise for them, or the interest is uh, wrapped around that fear. That yeah, about. it's a lack of edge. Is it an ignorance and like that's even possible? Yeah. Well, lack of education. When you build a big town like Honolulu, a city, you know, when, when the ships stop coming, what do you do? I think about that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about this. I'm like, because I heard a, a statistic back, I think it was in high school, that like 99% of our stuff is imported. Right, yes. And I was just, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, if we're in the middle of the ocean, we are not farming, like it takes nine months to get the call going. So it's like, what What were we to do? That's a whole nother, for sure. That is, I actually, I've been running a line in my law class, in my 107 classes, is uh, we gotta move back to a moku mentality, mm -hmm. moku mindset. Like that. Which is, um, not every ahupua would have everything you need in it, but every moku should be able to provide its own water its own food, its own handle its own waste, and generate its own power. Start with that as a baseline. That that's a very Hawaiian mentality or Hawaiian mindset. I say mindset, but mentality. It's a Hawaiian mindset, right? Every moku should provide those those basics. If your basics are being provided from someplace outside of your moku, then that's an imperialist mindset, right? You're taking so. Honolulu has to generate its own energy, and mm -hmm. it can with today's technology. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to have windmills in Kahuku, where people in Kahuku clearly don't want it. Yeah. Like that's a that's a that's turmoil. That's a collision of uh, mindsets, yeah. and um, uh, really, that's that whole project is about propping up corporate, you know, companies and the ability to allow power to still be run from the top. Because you could, I mean, especially in Kahuku, you could run power generation at the household level mm -hmm. these days with all the technology we have, probably a lot of that can happen in Honolulu too. Yeah. Or maybe you got to downsize Honolulu. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good to <laughs> me. <laughs> downsize Honolulu and open up back low E. Oh, no. That means you've got to clean your waterways. Oh, no. I mean, some change. people have to yeah. 
<laughs> move back rules. to where they you came gotta, from. You gotta change rules about what kind of automobiles you're gonna yeah. allow on the roads, leaking whatever it is into your uh, into your uh, watershed, mm-hmm. and you know what you're gonna allow, what you're gonna allow happen because you gotta drink that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's gotta grow your own food. You don't have to think that way if all your food comes ninety percent of your food. <clears throat> if all your Twinkies come from somewhere else. You know, you can't survive without it. Twinkies. <laughs> yeah. like, they do last for a really long time. They last forever. <laughs> um, so here's, here's my last question for you. It seems like, well, would you say when you first started getting into all of this stuff, was it popular? Were you scrutinized? Was it as uh, supported as it is today? Because I kind of feel like we're in a, living in a better time oh, then. Yeah. So did, have you seen a shift being an educator, being... Uh, student yeah I think the community at large sees the Hawaiian Kingdom and understands the logic of it mm-hmm. I think it's been the educational institutions that have been slower to respond but still was it hard for you at first did you feel like the community were they like hey what are you why are you studying Hawaiian or, you know was there support oh, that early yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you know back in the early 90s there was it was kind of a fringe thing, mm-hmm. um, but <clears throat> I think nowadays, you know, it's kind of seen as a, it's kind of a, it's got some cachet to it. It's got some, you know, it's yeah. a, uh, even like my kids, I'm trying to tell them, I was like, I was like, no, you know, Hawaiian is cool. We didn't put you into some of these schools for other reasons you were young, but you know, you're not speaking Hawaiian around this town down the road. You're gonna you're gonna be wishing that you had done it earlier. Well, I guess that's what I'm trying to bring up because I feel like sometimes we complain about how hard it is, like the, the youth of today, and you know, it, it, we're like, oh, it's so hard, and oh, there's this and that. But I feel like if we look back a couple generations, it was so oh, yeah. much worse. It's impossible. It was, a, and it was so like made to be ashamed, and all, you know, all that stuff. So right. we're so blessed right now. We have this pocket where it's almost cool. I mean, you know, you speak Hawaiian now, it's a cool thing. And I don't want to, we should take I'll, advantage I don't of this. My relatives. So when I first started going in, one of my relatives told me, who are you going to speak to with that dead language? And what are you doing with those crazy ladies? And <laughs> I said, look, this is a, I just know this is the right way to go. Uh, and so that the, I spent a lot of time pursuing Hawaiian studies, Hawaiian language, and Hawaiian cultural things back in the nineties. <clears throat> when countersize material came on, that was another break. Well, it was surprising to me that there were a lot of Hawaiians who were resistant mm-hmm. to it. Uh, back at that time, this is like around 2000. Mm-hmm. I think it was such a break. And I, I was on that side too. Mm-hmm. Like when I first heard of counter stuff, I was like, oh, what's this kook and his Hawaiian Kingdom stuff? Yeah, front row to yeah. Paul's. <clears throat> right. And, uh, uh, but, you know, when you, when you see the material... You know, you, it's hard, to, it's undeniable. And I think <clears throat> since 2000 and now, um, that material, the material, La Kuakoa, La Hoihoihea, people see it. It's understandable when they see it. Uh, it's been a, everybody who's been in the community level doing educational work, it's guys like Keanu, it's people like Lynette Cruz, it's a lot of other people. They, you know, they've got the, the information and they've been, they've been out in the community um, meeting and walking through it, the community sees both sets of information and they're clearly on the kingdom idea. And I think 
enough people see that, oh, there's, there's some options there. I mean, we're, we're in indigenous Hawaii right now and it's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible setup. <clears throat> uh, some of the faculty at some of the colleges and universities have been slow to move in that direction. And actually look for reasons to resist it and to be convoluted about that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've had some battles with that over the years. But uh, over here, this is kind of a kingdom-based area. <laughs> this is kind of all of it, right? Now it's good to, it's good time to do Hawaiian things. Like the future of Hawaiian things is enormous. Uh, whether it's academic work, history work, like there's a need for all of it. Um, Aina work, Holly work, rock wall work, there's just some respectability to it. There's some, um, yeah, there's respectability, I would be the way to do it. I, I think what we try to do, or at least what I'm trying to <coughs> keep amongst our ranks, is that, uh, is to try to keep us, um, not humble, but that these, we're, we're not trying to create specialists. Mm -hmm. We want to, oh, maka ainana this, we want, we want, like things like Holly building and rock wall building were things everybody did. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so people call us in as specialists now, but we don't like to call ourselves specialists. We like to put it out there that these are skills. Like the Hawaiian needs. language. Yes. Like everybody needed. Yes. And I think a lot of that has changed too. Yeah. There's some great online work going on with Hawaiian language at various skill levels, but there's some <laughs> great work going on. It's just, it's getting out. Yeah. Uh, it's getting broader, um, so I definitely try to, if I was emphasizing anything to your listeners, is to keep doing Hawaiian things. The burden of our time is that it's, um, some of us can do it for a living, but most of us are doing it extracurricular, and that's, uh, that's, that's um, you just got to keep the faith on that, just keep yeah. moving forward with that, um, because that's important for the future. It, you, if you have any time in on it, you can see how exponentially it's been growing yeah. since the since before the nineties. But my time in from the nineties through now, it's been exponential, and uh, I'm totally surprised and amazed and excited about the ways it's growing that I could never imagine. I just assume, like like we're saying before, I, we don't have the answers for what now or what how is it going to happen or. Um, it's, just like I can't imagine, I couldn't have imagined, like, like I couldn't have imagined social media in year 2000 <laughs> and all of the things that are, there's negative things to it, but all the positive mm -hmm. sides of it, uh, to me, are worth exploring and are amazing. And I, I assume if we keep working on education, personal education and educating the people around us um, in a positive way, keeping shame out of that, uh, I just think something will break or something will move or something will open up that some of us just can't imagine right now. And that's where things will change. Whether that change comes slowly or there's some quick movement. Of course, I hope it's quick. I'd like to be alive for it. <laughs> I know, Jesse. <laughs> to get that land that if you were supposed to get when you were 21. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, my God. That, I can't even. That is so underemphasized. Knowing that land system, nobody knows that. If everybody, if all Hawaiians knew they could get land, at the age of 21, I mean, just, it is so common amongst Hawaiian families that somebody dies who owns a house and everybody is arguing over that house or arguing over a plot of land. 
and our traditional system encoded through the Mahele uh, takes that out of the equation. Everybody gets their own land. If somebody gambles away the land in your property, when you hit 21, you get your own space. Yeah. What that looks like in the future, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. As populations grow, uh, maybe it's a condo you relied out on, who knows? Uh, in short, if I was to describe the Mahele, it, the Mahele, the Constitution guarantees rights for every Hawaiian to the land, mm -hmm. all three of the class of the Hawaiians at the time. The Mahele is the policy process by which mm -hmm. that guarantee in the Constitution gets put into a governmental system. It's the administrative process for how you take those rights and make them actualized or real. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's worth studying. It's <clears throat> what do you think reading Keanu's book is difficult, or com <laughs> com not difficult, complicated? It's it's, com so it's a lot. Parts. A lot of moving parts. A lot of things to understand. Yeah. And and it's difficult too because it's the rewriting of what you've been taught. So it's yes. like it's being able to read something and accept that for truth over what right. you've been told so many times, right. years and years before. But I definitely think in this conversation that we've had, we've touched on a lot of amazing. Things that hopefully people listening will now go further and deep dive into I mean, even just starting with Google. Google some of the names that we've like talked about, um, or they can <coughs> enroll at WCC. A little plug for your your program. Every student at WCC should definitely be taking Come classes here. over here. Come here. Uh, this is I always if anyone's like I want to go to college, I'm always like go to WCC first before <laughs> like anywhere else because this school is absolutely amazing, and what you guys are doing is so great. But Mahalo. I think we covered a lot. I really you want, want to go back to Lakua Koa. No, no, no. I liked where it went. It was perfect. I just really want to thank you, Doctor Doctor Moore. Oh, uh, <laughs> you don't use your I title. Use that, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing your knowledge and your experiences, and also your passion for this. I definitely felt excited myself and want to get more involved in ways that I can. Mahalo you to you. Mahalo to you for furthering this work. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Have some perspective on it. And, uh, I love it. Well, thank you so much. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope that you found it helpful and encouraging. And if you did, then we would love to hear from you. Please leave us a review, send us a message on Instagram, or share this episode with a friend. Mahalo nui. Aloha.